Hey friend, this podcast is brought to you by The Family Thrive, an expert-led, science-backed online community for parents who want to dig deeper and do better. Join us at thefamilythrive.com. So much of these things we fill our lives with to block the voice inside that's really our guiding light and our guiding principle. And that voice sometimes is saying like some real uncomfortable stuff. So you're just like, well, if I just play this music real loud and I work out real hard and I have three tequilas tonight, that voice is going to shut up. I think that where I had gotten to several years ago, like was that I had effectively stopped listening to that voice at all. And I didn't know who I was. And once I kind of like rediscovered it, the last six years has just been a journey of continuing to figure it all out and really tap into what do I feel like is right for my life and my kids' lives and the people that I'm responsible to and who are my family. And we should like just continually be asking ourselves that question. I first met Busy Phillips when we both went to the same high school in Scottsdale, Arizona. I knew her as a totally unique and artsy kid who danced to her own beat. We hung out in similar circles, and so I got to know her well enough that when she broke into the entertainment industry with a major role in the iconic Freaks and Geeks, it was absolutely no surprise to me. In her book, This Will Only Hurt a Little, Busy describes herself as a sparkly person, and like not in a self-important way. It's actually unassuming and matter-of-fact when she describes it. And the thing is, it's a perfect description. She's always had that sparkle, even back in high school. And now we get the chance to bring that sparkle on the Family Thrive podcast. I cannot express to you how much Audra and I loved talking with Busy. We covered childhood trauma, becoming a better parent, doing the deep inner work of healing our emotional wounds, showing up as an authentic and connected parent and human in the world. And we covered way more than that. I'll just stop this intro now so you can hear our conversation with the wise and talented and truly sparkly Busy Phillips. Okay, Busy, I want to start off with a podcast-related question. So uh, it's when I listen to your podcast, you and Casey do so well together interviewing a guest. And I wonder, do you have some secret hand, like secret signals that you give each other as to when to talk and when not to talk? Because Audra and I will talk over each other all the time. All the time. Yes. Yeah, well... No, but you know, we've, we've worked together for several years now. And I think that we just sort of naturally know when one person wants to jump in and the other, you know, also we do edit it and we aren't sitting next to each other. So even if I do jump in or she jumps on to something I'm saying in the edit, we can take it out. Ah, so it's all, it's, so you handle it in post. We handle it a little bit in post, but I would say that like we have a good ability to kind of take turns. Yeah, because it, uh, it, it flows really well. And I think, oh man, Audra and I are like, we're always like, wait, no, no, you st- you go. And, and Maybe it's because we're married too. That's just like how, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a problem with like, like interrupting. Like just, just saying, <laughs> shut up. I have a question. Yeah. 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 I, don't well, know. I think that that makes exactly. sense. And I think we just, we just sort of naturally take turns. And I have to say, you know, a lot of times I don't, I don't do a ton of research on my, <laughs> <laughs> on my, I swear to God, just because like, I don't know. A lot of times it's people that I know or I've known for a long time. And I just want to hear what they have to say. So we really genuinely have to listen because both of us, because that's, I mean, that's how the the questions come organically from what the person we're interviewing is telling us, you know? I love it. Well, that is, so that's the approach that Audra takes most of the time. (laughs) It's just, like let's just yeah, let's I just go do it. The and most I, research for you. Yeah, and I right. No, on this one, she did I her did research, some the book, the podcast, the shows. Typically I'm the one with like a sheet, just just paint. He has a plan. Know, and then Audra's and just then I like, let's it. just let's just go 
go with the flow. <laughs> oh, okay. But with this one, Busy, oh my gosh. Um, we both, yeah, absolutely read the book. You I know, listened to it. Podcasts. Wait, uh, Justin, as I feel like this is like a rare opportunity. I haven't ever like been interviewed by someone I went to high school with who like no then yes oh busy it was so great first first of all the entire book not just the high school section was riveting for me i couldn't read it as i was trying to go to sleep because i wouldn't go to sleep i'd like still be up at like one in the morning i'm like but oh, I loved it. And busy was so, I mean, there was so much just realness. And then, of course, also knowing the real names of some of the people that were mentioned in the book. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. One thing that was impressed upon me was how much pot I smoked in high school. And so it was just like there was a kind of fog over some of it. I was like, oh yeah, I think I remember some of these things. And you were there for some of it. I was there for some of it. Yes. Yeah. And um I, I I have I keep telling Audra's like, I have this distinct memory of hanging out at a park. Busy's there. She's on a swing set and I like so it's just too much too, too much weed. Too much weed. Oh, yeah. Weed. Too much if weed. There's such thing. But um, <laughs> oh my gosh, busy. It was so like there was so much depth and realness. I mean, in the whole book, but especially when you write about your childhood and then when things get really intense from middle school into high school. So I want to know, thinking back now to those times, like middle school and high school, and now that your kids are moving into this area, what are you taking from that time? Because you talk about some really intense stuff, like yeah. really intense. And so how does this now inform What's happening for you as your kids start to move into this time? Well, I mean, listen, it's it's hard because no matter what, everything is always changing. You know what I mean? But what a few things stay the same, which is that if you don't talk to your kids about stuff, they'll never know and you'll never know what's possible or what they're curious about or what even is happening out there? And sometimes, look, as cool as I may seem, <laughs> you know, my 13-year-old is very quick to remind me that I'm super lame and I don't know anything. And so then I just very, you know, without judgment say, right, I'm just asking, I'm asking you to explain it to me. Explain to me what this is. Explain to me what that is. You know, I had a conversation with some friends the other day whose kids are actually older than Birdie. Birdie's 13. And I said, oh, have you guys talked to your kids about fentanyl being laced in like prescription medication and how like they're not, you know, they really need to not take any prescription medication. And if they see a kid overdosing, like you have, it's like, you know, you have to get the Narcan and my friends were like, Birdie's 13. Why would you have that conversation? And I was like, I know a woman in Los Angeles who's like 14, 15 year old died because he thought he was buying um, Adderall or something on, you know, online and it was laced with fentanyl and he died. Like, you know, a good kid. Like th these are, they're all good kids. Justin, you and I were good kids. We just did a little, we just had a lot of time and not a lot of supervision, you know? Not a lot of supervision. No, that's, yeah, no that's questions. Right. Mm, right. Mm. Right. And your cannabis wasn't laced with fentanyl. Yeah. I mean, right. I, ever. No. And I mean, but but the truth is, if it had been, my parents wouldn't have talked to me about that. And I, you know, I think that the thing that is true about being an adult is the same thing that is true about being a kid and a teenager, which is that information is power. And there's nothing ever bad about information. Information helps you make good choices. It helps you take responsibility for your actions. It helps you, you know, move through the world in a way that you can feel good about. If you're making decisions based from a place of, of not having the information, 
well, then I guess you're like half the country, but, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> but or I don't like want, we I don't were raise, when we were growing up. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to raise those, those kids. Like I want my kids to always right. be able to ask. I, I was like embarrassed to ask questions. Oh, absolutely. Same here. And busy. The one, one of the things that comes up right away is in your book, how your parents read your diary and this interaction is just really impressed. Like that, that felt so real and common and they didn't know anything about you at that time. Like it, it, it was really impressive. like they didn't know who you were or what you were up to. And I wonder now how much that informs this desire to really open the communication channels, no matter what between you and your kids. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. It's also trust is huge, you know? And I think that, even kids should be allowed to have private thoughts and keep their diaries and, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. But also, if you cultivate the kind of relationship with your children, kids are going to lie. That's just a baseline. I'm not an idiot. You know what I mean? But if you cultivate the kind of relationship with your kids that allows them to be able to tell you the truth they will tell you the truth way more <laughs> than, yeah, you know? Yes. And so there will always be, there will always be things that kids are hiding from their parents. That just has to be, they have to, they're trying to find autonomy. They're trying to be their own people. And the trick as a parent is to know that they're allowed to be their own people and to give them the permission to be their own person so that they don't actually feel like acting out in ways that could be dangerous to them or their friends or put them in harm's way or just in bad situations, that that's not going to be the way that they go. Uh, it's such a powerful point. Yeah. The, I, so I cried at the end of chapter five of listening to you, listening to you is the best. And I pick my son up from high school and I'm listening to your book. And But I cried at the end of chapter five when you're talking about your sister holding Birdie and loving her. And for me, that chapter was so much about cycle breaking. And what I hear you talking about now is cycle breaking, that our kids aren't just a perpetuation of us and everything we've been through. Like the dynamics of your mom and her sister sort of like, you know, kind of like perpetuated into how your mom saw you and your sister. And then the fear around like, are we just perpetuating this? And no, you're not. And your kids aren't just an extension of you, no. right? They're their own people. They're affected by you. Yeah. I but mean, they're their I own just, it's so interesting. I just went and did this, this, if you heard any of the recent podcasts, I went and did Hoffman Institute, which oh, is, yes. yeah, we got questions. We got questions. <laughs> yes. okay, go Tell us but more. <laughs> Hoffman Institute is essentially all about breaking the generational trauma and the patterns that get passed down. And, you know, I have done and continue to do a ton of work, but I will say I have found myself in a place where I was like, I am repeating so much of this stuff. Mm. I am seeing it mm. being acted out in my own home and mm. I need to figure this out. What the fuck yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, Hoffman Institute is a, for those of you who haven't heard my podcast where I talk about it for two hours, it's a seven day intensive, immersive, experiential like therapeutic retreat. It sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds absolutely amazing. It's hard. It was hard. Yeah. Um, it was work. Like it was not, it wasn't easy. And you know, the people that are in your session, I mean, I feel like bonded to these people for life. Like you, you know, these 24 other people, some of them, you feel like you know them better than you've known like your own family because you just crack it all wide open and rebuild it. Like, it's so interesting. I had kind of a real, a real like boulder hit me in the soul, like 
a week after I got back and I thought, well, I failed. I failed. And that's part, you know, in that email from Hoffman, the like <laughs> showed up in my inbox the next day that was like, the subject line was, so I think I've failed the Hoffman process. And it's like, you can't oh, fail. Wow. <laughs> it's like an ongoing thing. And of course, life is going to come and punch you in the gut and you have to return to the work and remind yourself of how you reprogram your brain because we just are, yeah. you get so programmed. Yep. Oh, wow. Wow. So I, I yeah, I, I had saved the Hoffman questions till, <laughs> till later in the interview busy, but now, oh my gosh. Um, so I imagine so much of this is about, uh, well, there's, there's two, there's two things that I'm thinking in relation to parenthood here. The first thing is going back into childhood and processing some of the patterns that built up in childhood. So my question is, without getting too into your own childhood, what has come up now in the week since? How are you bringing this into your own parenting now? It looks different. I'll just be honest, you know, um, and my kids are like adjusting, but it is hard because they're 13 and eight and Birdie is 13, but really Birdie's like 13 going on 45. Yeah. And so Birdie, especially in the beginning was like, oh, you're all Zen now because you went to your retreat and you learned a different way to communicate. Oh and- my God. <laughs> That's amazing with you. Not to interject myself into your story, <laughs> but, I, but uh, I, a year and a half ago, went through some really intense therapeutic work for myself, and it really transformed my parenting, especially with my daughter. And so what did she call it? Where she calls me the, the namaste dad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh God, the namaste. Stop <laughs> it. Like, just stop it. But without the man bun, I'll right. have to tell you, like, I, it, it has, it has totally transformed my relationship with her. And, um, and so even through all of the criticism and the snarkiness, like, oh, there's, there's, just this really beautiful relationship that has unfolded. So Justin, I'll say like, you know, Birdie's a tough cookie in a lot of ways and had started this teen preteen teen thing a while back where they were just like, didn't want any physical attention from mm-hmm. me or their dad. And I will say, so I've been back a month now Birdie like is really deeply hugging me now. Mm, so, you know, beautiful. we're still getting like, you know, the like snarkiness eye rolls and like, why don't you clear your plate to the table? Why don't you, you know, like that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's also like, there are no, there are no shortcuts in any of this stuff. And even like your therapeutic work, Hoffman Institute for a week. It's not a shortcut. I wasn't fixed in seven days and there's no fixing anyway. Busy. So this is, oh, this is, this is one thing uh, in doing this therapeutic work. I thought that it was uh, something like where you do get fixed. And then I realized that it's just like any other health behavior. Like I, I'm not going to do a 30 day gym thing and be like, okay, that's it. I'm I'm done. Like, I don't ever have to go back to this gym again. You know, like, no, you got to keep going back or so. Yeah, it is. It is a daily, it's, it's the daily work. It is. And I think that we are, I mean, you know, just culturally in this moment, especially, you know, we all want it to just be done. We want, we want to just, yeah. but the thing that I've been kind of trying to hold on to is like, if we do a good enough job, then it's not just that each generation does a little bit better than the one before. It's a, it's a shift. It's like a seismic shift forward in consciousness and and really being human. Uh, 100%. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. So this brings me well, okay, now this is another 
question. I think in uh, yeah, one of the recent podcasts, you talked about talking to your ancestors. Now, I'm like super interested in, in, in this. Are you able to talk about this or is this, can we not go there? I mean, no, it's, it's interesting. It's just, it's a real journey. There's no drugs. I do want to say that. Like I have no, I'm, I'm, I've never done <laughs> yes. therapy, but um, I know people swear by it and I know it's helped. I mean, it's helped Lots of friends of mine, like ayahuasca or ketamine or any of the ones. Exactly. When you originally said you were going on the retreat, I'm like, oh, she's going to Costa Rica to do, I to of course, to do ayahuasca. (laughs) Yeah. No, I honestly, Justin, I feel like I did so many drugs in high school. It freaks me out. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. There is a virtue to kind of getting it all out in high school, you know, because then you can get your shit together later on. Yeah, Yeah, I just because of how many drugs I did in high school, I can also understand how some of that stuff works for people. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, exactly. you know, my big thing yeah. always in high school was whenever I would do what well, we called it ecstasy back then, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right. No, now it's MDMA. MDMA yes. is that I would <laughs> think Molly. that I had a bunch of things figured out. I could just never hold on to it. Oh, yeah. well, that was, that was my, like the mushroom LSD trips, but yeah, you it was hold like, on to some of those like, in you though. I mean, well, there's a, there is, there can be a transcendent essence that you hold on to. Yes. But I remember distinctly several trips back in high school of thinking I found it. Like I, I mean, I found the meaning of life. Like I discovered it and then wake up the next What's day. It? Damn it. <laughs> it's gone. <Shit>. Yeah. Mine <laughs> were always mostly like boy related. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, no cosmic truths or anything. No, it was like mostly that. just about boys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so there's no drugs at Hoffman, and um, but you do deep meditation and like visioning, and you do a lot of like body, brain, spirit connection. So there's a lot of of movement with intention. And, you know, it's also interesting, they ask you not to do anything that you habitually do for the week that you're there. So obviously, they, there's no drugs or alcohol, you're asked not to work out if working out is something that you do daily, which I it was something that I was doing daily. So I couldn't work out. They ask you not in the no TV, no music, no music. Oh, my God, no books, like, no computer. Busy, your love for um, music just comes out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't imagine a whole week without music for you, right? It was really hard, but it also was incredible because I was able to really get still and really. I think that so much of these things we fill our lives with to block the voice inside that's really our guiding light and our guiding principle. Yes, true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that voice sometimes is saying like some real uncomfortable stuff. And hell yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're just like, well, if I just play this music real loud and I work out real hard, (laughs) you know, and I exactly and I have three tequilas tonight, like that voice is Uh gonna shut up. And I think that part of where I had gotten to several years ago, like five years ago, was that I had effectively stopped listening to that voice at all. And I didn't know who I was six years ago. And once I kind of like rediscovered it, the last six years has just been a journey of continuing to figure it all out and really tap into what what do I feel like is right for my life and my kids' lives and the people that I'm responsible to and who are my family. And I think that when you are a person who has decided to stop asking those questions, it's a sad day. And we should like just continually be asking ourselves that, that question. Yeah. Oh yeah. So this is hard work. I mean, this is like digging in, doing that, doing this inner work is, is really, really, really tough. It has a motivation of yours, Ben, your kids. Is that something that, that, that brought you into it to listening again six years ago? Yeah. And I think just, I think just taking stock of the world, even like re-meeting you guys and going to the fundraiser and seeing what you had turned 
you know, the hardest situation that a parent could be faced with into such good and such goodness. And I just like more of that, you know, I wanted to try to focus on more of that in like a very, in a very genuine way, not in like a savory, I'm not in, you know, right. But I do think that it all starts, you know, from yourself. And it's hard to move from an authentic place if you're not living an authentic if you're not in touch right. with it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Busy, right. I, I, I don't know if Hoffman uh, does any internal family systems work. Have you heard of internal family systems? No, I don't think so. Oh my gosh. Cause it's, it's I'm writing it down. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to introduce you to one of the books around links? this. Yeah, yeah. But it like the whole purpose is to really get to a point where we can relax all of the protector parts. I mean, when you talked about the working out and the music and it's like all of that is there. We have these parts that have learned how to protect the emotional wounds that we hold. And so it's, and we have a million different ways to protect this, but if we can find a way to get in touch with these protector parts and have a relationship with them, where we can relax, get them to relax and just calm down a bit. And then we can have access to this true self. Like everybody has this true self that is full of all the wisdom and courage and connection. And you know, that that's, that's, that's it. It seems honestly like the same theoretical ideas totally because it's totally because bob hoffman like in the 50s or whenever he came up with the process it's all about like yeah there's this core right of you and that's your being and surrounding it he calls it like negative love syndrome is what he calls it and those are just all the things that were built up as survival when you were a very very mm-hmm. small person in your family and those are the things that just become like bedrock to you That's being right. able to access that emotional, pure core. And I thought, like I said this on my podcast, like I did think that this like rage and anger and unsettled thing in my core was just a part of me and that all I could hope for for my life was to just manage around it like a really big dining room table that's too big for the room. Just scooch around it. But through this, through that week, they really, it's like gone, it's shattered, it's gone, and it's pretty mm. incredible. Feels great. Okay. So have you been able to experience a new? parenting relationship yes. mojo. So yeah, like, what's it like coming home? What does it look like? Yeah. Like, and parenting from that, that true yeah. self. Yeah. I have, here's what I'm going to say. I have like things that like come to me now where I'm like, Oh, birdie needs X, Y, and Z, you know, like, I'm just like, I can just, I just know what it is. I called Mark the other day and I was like, Birdie and Cricket need not a ton of time, like 20 or 30 minutes of alone time with each one of us individually every single fucking day. And and they need to know that they're getting it and that's what it is. And there's no, I'm, I don't have my phone. If they want to sit there on their phone and show me TikToks or whatever, they can do whatever they want. But like, that's what they're asking for without asking is that wow busy you had mentioned this uh i think on the podcast where you drove back from dc and then you you said something to the effect that like you just knew you needed to spend some one-on-one time with birdie like Mm -hmm. you just you just knew it and that hit me like i was like oh that's that that feels like so wise and like so connected and i just want to know how did you know that that needed to happen and you just explained it yeah (laughs) even just the having the realization that I needed to learn how to play Nintendo with cricket. Yes. I love <laughs> yeah. that. I, My eight year old does not want to do arts and crafts with me. She does not yeah. want to learn how to knit. She does not want to bake with me. These are all the things it's I Mario enjoy. Kart. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy doing those things. <laughs> she wants to play Minecraft and Mario. Yeah. And like, and so I just yeah. had this like a lightning bolt, like, Oh, 
I have to sit down and I need, if I want to engage with this kid, I need to show an interest in a thing that they like, like in what she's interested in. That's important to kids. That makes them feel seen and understood. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. It's really big. It's because parenting, I mean, so much of parenting, it seems to me to be just managing us, like managing ourselves in in a way of like, and being aware. It's like, yeah, I want to bake. And then I try to transfer that onto my kid. Right. But to be able to really listen and show up for them is, is all about doing that, doing that work. It's really powerful. And I love hearing about it from you. And I love that you are so vocal and open and vulnerable on your podcast and that you share on social media, because I do think it matters to people. I do think it matters to moms all over who are often dependent on narratives they like pick up or how they were raised or whatever. We often, I mean, I've seen it in the child cancer world over and over again. Moms often rely on a way to do it or a narrative. It's like we need permission from someone else before we find it inside sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's really powerful to have examples out there, the people that are open enough as you are to, to be able to share how you navigate this and share that doing the work is important. Like it's hard work doing this work, but is it, but there's like, is there anything more important in life? And it's like short time that we have No, with all of the unknowns. No. And it's all there is like, it's literally all there, all there is. Mm. Yep. And you look at like, I think, especially in the last couple of years, obviously, whew, I think people can get sort of just overwhelmed globally by everything that you're seeing and witnessing and feeling like, what are we doing? What's the point? I'm just going to have another glass of wine and like, <laughs> whatever, tune out. Oh, yeah, fuck it. Right. Fuck it. But the truth is, these little people change it all. Like all of them to get like, we all can do it. It just is not. You know, this is not, no man is an island, no woman is an island, no person is an island. This is like a thing that we collectively have to be committed to raising good kids. I'm going to say a thing, maybe it shouldn't, but whatever. I got into like a little bit of a thing. There was a kid that is not my child. And I said, I was like intervening in a way. And Mark was like, you, like, you don't have to, like, this is so, you don't, don't, do, whatever, don't do this. You know, he was kind of like erring on the side of like, we don't want people to feel like, and I was like, no, dude, it's a hundred percent my business. That child's welfare is my business. Making sure that kid is taken yep. care of is my fucking business. Mm, and yes, it takes a village. And it's like, so what? So somebody might, somebody might say you've overstepped. Okay. Is the kid safe and being taken care of? Then I don't. Right. What's more important? Yeah. Right. Mm. Right. What are we afraid of? I had a woman once, like I was like about to lose my shit when one of my kids was little and a woman in the bathroom at, I think I was in the airport was like, just had a very gentle night, like word of kindness toward me. And if you're a mom and you've ever, and maybe Justin, I don't know about dads. I can't speak to your bathroom experiences, but I know. (laughs) (laughs) No, we are, we are silent. (laughs) I know that I've been in multiple bathrooms, (laughs) like in airports and sports arenas or whatever, where I've overheard a mom on the edge and, or hotels. And if it's, if there's ever a time to just like, with all the compassion you can say, you're doing great, mom. I know it's hard. Can I hold something for you? Do you need anything? Without judgment, it is like a game changer because it makes, first of all, if the mom is, and I think probably people listening have heard this before, if the mom is like really losing it, maybe they're saying some things that they will regret, you know, saying to their kid, and it just causes them to pause and like get outside of themselves. And if you can really do it just genuinely from a place of like, I'm just, I'm there. I've been there. Can I get you some, do you need water? Like I've like, I like gave a woman a bottle of water once. Like, can I just, do you need some water here? Just take yeah. water. I, just, <laughs> I bought too many, you know, it can like shift your whole 
day and we get- It shifts the world. Yes. And people get so weird about interacting. And yes, what's the worst issue she can tell you like to go mind your own business and whatever. And then you can be like, okay, thank you. You know, like just- What's the worst, right? Right. Like I feel this is like a big shift that you're talking about. And I love it because it's about showing up. I feel like our time is super limited here on this earth in this form. And how do we want to approach each day together? Right. And I look back on like growing up in the eighties. I remember being in like a subway, you know, my, my dad's family is from, uh, from Manhattan. And I remember, I think we experienced a moment of racism, of course, of somebody yelling, at a black guy in the train and everybody freezes is like, that's, but it's not our place. It's not our place to say anything. Yes. It's our place. And I yeah. think it's a big shift. And maybe for our generation, a really, really big shift of it's, it is our fucking place show up. This is like the moment, the, the moments we have. And I feel like I experienced that from you just being one of your many followers on social media. Cause you show up and you speak your mind and you stand up for people and you genuinely talk about things and causes that are important to you, like women's reproductive rights for one of the many things. The Me Too movement moment when you showed up there, I realized for the first time, like looking back on, on um, you know, I graduated high school in 95. So all of those years, you know, the girl who was raped by the whole football team. And, yeah. and I remember that in like 91 and being like, oh, that was normal. That was just normal. The things that we accept that we don't have to accept. Mm -hmm. And, and then most importantly, when you talk about the major shift in humanity, if we can model this for our kids, as you're modeling this, as we're doing, if we can model this for our kids, I mean, the change is exponential. It's not just like one step more. It's exponentially more. And I I think that it's so powerful. And, you know, it's so funny, like Bertie, I'll brag on my kid for a minute, but Bernie has such an incredible ability to recognize injustice in their own world at school. And I mean, you know, their kids, their worlds are pretty small and to stand up for what they really believe is right. Bernie went to the Dean of their school and like, without even talking to me and Mark about a, about a thing that was affecting them and and a couple of the other a, a couple other kids in their pod that had been like sort of a consistent issue that Bree was like this just isn't being handled well enough for me like I need you to do better <laughs> what oh yes That's I can't amazing. even imagine back then uh, I know being able to do oh that. it's incredible okay so busy you. Today would certainly do something like that, but would you have done that at age 13? Well, I mean, in terms of like the things that Bertie's standing up for, no, like I felt, and I wrote about it in the book, like I definitely felt, you know, as a girl and a young woman that I had to be able to take it and that, you know, my body could be a joke for boys. My sexuality could be a joke for boys or girls, you know, that I, as a woman person, young woman person was at the mercy of a culture where that was the normal. And if I wanted to succeed and I wanted to just, and I wanted to get through it. I had to learn how to laugh, learn how to take it, learn how to move through these things. So like toxic male culture, essentially upholding upholding like a patriarchal, toxic white supremacist male culture. Bernie has zero tolerance for any of that. And you know, it still exists. These kids are, you guys have a teenager, like, you know, there's still things get said, words are used. And Bertie just is like, absolutely not. It's unacceptable. I have another friend whose kid is 16, I think now, who at summer camp, a boy did a thing, dropped a thing down her shirt and then did another thing. And she told the counselors about it. And he was sort of like, just slapped on the wrist. And then he did another thing to her 
And she went to the head of the camp and was like, I need my parents to be called and I need that kid's parents to be called. And I'm not going to return to camp unless he's gone. <laughs> it's like, what? Yes. 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 You don't get to just be like this. This is my boundary. Yes, you know, that's that's exponential. That's exponential change. Yeah, like when when yeah. when we were all growing up, uh, uh, yeah, that would have that would have never even been brought and brought no. to a counselor. It just would have been like I that, never would that, have that, said that a word. Sucks. Yeah, no. never would have said no. Nope. And so busy. I so the question that I have because there's so much in the book. Well, I mean, it's so clear. It's not even about the book, but just just who 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 you are as an adult uh really vulnerable authentic real and so i'm wondering was there a a specific turning point for you in young adulthood or at any point in time where you're like you know what like i am who i am and i'm just going to put it out there or was this a gradual shift well i mean i think that there's a part of me that was always doing that i think it was just difficult depending on how it was received by certain, you know, mm. and I, and I think I spent a long time trying to mold myself into an idea that I didn't believe in. You know, I think that gets like, wears it wears you out. And mm. I do think that our generation, like Gen X specifically, and maybe some millennials, older millennials, maybe I do think we reached, especially women, I think we reached like our tipping point where we kind of yeah. were like, we can't, I actually just can't hold this shit anymore. I'm just not going to. Was there a single tipping point for you or was this a more gradual shift? I mean, once Trump really came into mm. the zeitgeist in a real way, like before he was president, but just when he sort of took the national stage in such a way we were kind of like yeah. living in a little bit of an Obama bliss, I think. Uh-huh. Right. And, and once that started happening and I started to see the reactions from people around the country, I, I started to have like that feeling, that like sickening feeling from high school, you know? And I thought, well, I can't, what are we doing? How did, how is this happening? And that's when it, all started to become like the movie Memento. <laughs> yeah. Replaying like everything right. in your head. And you're like, wait, Monica Lewinsky was a victim, you know? And like, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, because like, that's like, you know, the, the, the programming is the social programming is deep. Those mm. rivers run deep. Yeah. Wow. And for all yes. of us, Yes. And um, whether your like political affiliations are yeah. whatever they are, you there's no denying social programming. And so I think that that shift where it just became so clear, you know, coupled with the fact that like, you know, the LGBTQIA movement has been like able to make such major inroads in terms of rights, like our trans friends and families you know, are able to like, have been able to really come out in such an amazing way. And we've been able to, this is all part of like the shift, right? In consciousness. I mean, because really, ultimately, and you know, Birdie is non-binary, but like, that's the been the biggest realization I've had in the last year, which is just like, it's all about just dismantling the binary, like all, all of it, mm -hmm. which people don't, I, I still think is like when you say that some people are like turn you off. They can't they can't even comprehend. I think it's amazing. It's so rad and and to me it says a lot about your family and your relationships and your family dynamics and I know so for the family thrive what we're working on now is our, our focus is really on mental and emotional health for parents and so that we can break those cycles and make that change to produce a healthier family environment, you know, for our kids so that we can change the paradigm, change yeah. the world. We believe that that's what will happen when we do that work. Um, but hearing about not only Birdie coming out, but then telling you, yeah, talk about it on the podcast. It's fine. I don't, you know, anybody can know about this, like that badass, beautiful confidence 
and empowerment that I feel like I hear in that, like that, how, so there's a lot of us other moms out there who would like to be like, I want to be that mom. I so want to be that mom where my kid can come out to me and it is something that they feel super safe. So what kind of like home, like how did you get there with, with them? Like, is it something that for both kids even like, do you kind of like normalize in a sense, like, did you defy the binary in your conversations before that? Or is it just that you had an open relationship? Like, what is that? How did, how did that work for you? Well, a couple of things. Like, I do think that it's important to remember the thing that my mother always used to say to me actions speak louder than words. And I think that we can say a lot of things to our children, but what they really know is what they see. Mm. So even as a woman breaking like body issues for myself, for the kids, it started with me being very disingenuous, to be honest and decide making a conscious decision that I was not going to talk about my body or anyone else's body. And I wasn't, and I was going to wear bathing suits and I would always get in the pool and I was not going to like pull my clothes. Like I made, I made like a mental list of all the things that I felt like I needed to change. I wasn't comfortable. Do you know what I mean? Like I still feel about my own body. I'm kind of free of it now, which is great. But so, yeah, yeah, you know, sometimes fake it till you make it does work. Right. Um, But modeling, yeah, what you're modeling. But even if I never shifted my body perspective that had been programmed into me, at least I could like try to curb some of the programming in my kids. And so in terms of how they identify gender wise and who they want to love. We do have, I do have friends who I, you know, are trans who identify as non-binary. I have lots of friends who are gay, who are married. You know, I do have that. That is a thing that has been experienced like in my family from my kids when they were really little. And I think it just makes a difference. And culturally too. Like, I think that's, that's a thing too. Like, and sometimes maybe, I don't know, I, I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. So I don't know if other parenting podcasts have like, I know there's that like white parents podcast. Is it about white parents? What? Like how white to be, parents. right? What is it called? It's like to be, be like, to be like nice white parents. Nice white nice parents. White I've got to follow that. All right. We got to nice listen to Nice white parents in New York Times. Oh, wait. But so I was going to say, I don't know if they deal with this on that or if they ever dealt with that on this podcast, but I, but like several, several years ago I did. I don't even know if I'd had cricket yet, but I was like, we need some more diversity in our friend group. And (laughs) I hear you, you know, and especially living in Los Angeles, which is like a weirdly very still segregated place in terms of housing, like we're segregated, right? It is. And I just was like, I don't like this for myself. And I don't like this for what my kids see. So you can make, I mean, you can make choices, like how you live your life. And yes, yes. Was New York a great change for that? I mean, we moved to LA from New York and I remember being astounded. I was like, people just avoid the things that they make them uncomfortable in LA. And in New York, I mean, it, even in the areas of extreme wealth, I mean, it's still just so much more um, diverse and alive. Well, yeah. I mean, socioeconomically, like, I don't even think there's, there is like one area that's like super wealthy. Everything in the city is, is a, is a melting pot, you know, like it is incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the first weekend we were here a, a little over a year ago, we were walking around and Bertie was like, Oh, look, there's a pride flag in the window. Is this, is this like their West Hollywood? And I was like, no, this is you know what I go. This no, is this New is York. New York City. This is New York. Yeah, that's right. Like, and I was like, it's everywhere. Like everyone is everywhere, and that's just the way that it is. And I think that it has offered the kids, yeah, like a really incredible perspective shift. Mm. Also, in terms, awesome. of, I totally resonate with that. 
like obviously Mark and I, their parents both work in entertainment, mm -hmm. but you know, it can be in LA, you can get really overwhelmed with an idea that that's all there is in the world. Yeah. And here people's parents do all kinds of things. Yeah. And I think, and, and it's not like Bertie's, you know, set apart because of what their parents do. And it's not as though there's some kind of weird competition because of what their parents do, which by the way, I had found in LA with some of the kids, like comparing how famous their parents were like, Oh no, it's so bizarre. Oh my <laughs> <laughs> it's so right. bizarre who's higher up in the title uh, yeah list or whatever. Uh, um so uh i know that you have to go so we have three questions that we ask every guest on the show and so we're just gonna shoot them at you rapid fire okay. the first one busy if you could put a post-it note on every parent's fridge tomorrow morning what would that post-it note say compassion for yourself mm, compassion for yourself beautiful you. Thank yeah you. maybe the compassion for yourself is too long on a post-it note so maybe just be kind to you <laughs> be kind to you and then is there a quote that you have I, I know this one's tough just to think off the top of your head but has there been a quote lately that has changed the way you think or feel yeah you got to be able to hold both that's been my mantra yeah recently <laughs> got to be able to hold yeah. both Beautiful. Oh, All right. So that. the very last question is, uh, we like to ask this because raising kids is hard and it's nice to take a step back and think about what is so great about kids. And so busy, what do you love about kids? All of their ideas and the things they have to say. I was in my room reading last night and I overheard cricket telling Mark a story and I was laughing so hard from the other room, just listening to this person tell this animated story about what had happened at school that day. And I think that being present and being open to listening to what your kids have to say without judgment is without correcting, without making it teachable <laughs> is the best. That's it. That's it. That's the That's thing. It. Beautiful. Oh, busy. Thank you so much for your time. This has been such a joy for us. It really has. Thank nice you. Thank you, you so much. Yeah. Well, you let me know if you guys come to New York. Oh, for sure. We for sure. Oh. We're in Savannah, Georgia. So let us know if you ever come to Savannah. Did you guys move yeah. to Savannah? We, we moved did. to Savannah, Georgia. That's right. Yeah. Similar COVID. type of thing. It's yeah, like we the just... kids were like, let's get out of Orange County, guys. See the world differently. I love Savannah. Oh, oh yeah. Great I'm like, Let us know you. when you come in. I'm not kidding. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> we would love it. <laughs> All right. Let's see you guys. Yeah. Oh, thank thank you, you again. Have a wonderful awesome. day. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Family Thrive Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe tell two friends and head on over to Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts and give us a review. We're so grateful you've chosen to join us on this Family Thrive journey.